slow down. I want you to stop the car, Julie. I want you to stop the car! Don't you know that when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise whether you do or not? Tell me something, David. I mean, do you believe in God? Hello, this is Projecting Film, the podcast where movies meet. I'm your host, Michael Denniston, and later on, my co-host Chris Maynard and I try to express our love for the newest and independent cinema, the only way we know how, by talking about two more movies that in our minds represent the perfect mashup of a new film coming your way. Keep in mind that this could all very well be just an excuse to rewatch some of our favorites, which is never a bad thing. But first, something new with the trailer for Thirst Street. Most passengers barely notice Gina on her flights. Bye-bye. Have a nice day. On their layover, her co-workers forced Gina out for an evening on the town. A special surprise, they said. Hello, Carl. It's the devil. I see a new man in your future. Give me your rent. <laughs> we can go to my place. When she saw Jerome, Gina felt something. I like uniform of flight attendant. Very sexy. Pour toi, je porte mon uniforme de testeller. Jerome? Ah, American girl. I've been thinking about moving to Paris. Bonjour. What are you doing here? Oh, I just was in the neighborhood. What are you doing here? Got a job. <laughs> okay. How do you connect Jerome? From Mexico. Oui. <laughs> Risky. The American accent excites me. Okay. Where is Jerome tonight? Gina haven't heard from you. He's got the photo of you and Jerome. He's so handsome. We're so happy you're doing so well. Yes, get away! They're completely full. Partout de ma vie, quoi. Partout de ma vie, quoi. Partout de ma vie. All right, so uh, joining me for this is Dan from Get Real Movies, and he has just seen for the first time Thirst Street, which I'm hoping that you have no experience, no prior knowledge of. This is just reaction to the trailer. No, I have no prior knowledge of this film. That was uh, interesting. <laughs> well, uh, I wanted to talk with you about it for a few minutes because you are a world traveler. Uh, you uh, are all over the place. You're like George Clooney from Up in the Air, so... I'm guessing you identify greatly with Gina, this American flight attendant, and the seedy underbelly of Paris that she finds herself, uh, in, uh, I guess, trapped in or wanting to be a part of. This is your life story, correct? Uh, I, I guess in terms of I like to travel and I've been to Paris <laughs> and I've seen the seedy part of Paris, but uh, everything else uh, – well, I have met a nice French girl uh, when I was in France last year, so I, maybe there's some parallels, but I'm not a creepy stalker, if uh, if that's why you're asking, Mike. So what uh, what films does this remind you of, if it's in that sort of creepy stalker, if that if that's the vibe you're getting from the very short, admittedly very short trailer? Um, I Okay, I re recently watched a film called Berlin Syndrome. Uh, which is not really stalkerish, but very creepy uh, about, you know, young about a young woman who goes to a city and is traveling and then kind of gets taken hostage by this creepy German man. Um, I that that that's the first movie it reminded me of, uh, except this looks a lot more kind of beautifully shot, uh, you know, kind of just very sexy, erotic 
erotic thriller kind of movie and uh, just and an American being, you know, uh, an obnoxious American. You know, uh, normally I would take issue with that comment, but I think Gina's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, if you say so. uh, I do recognize the French actress who plays the ex-girlfriend in the trailer. Interested about uh, seeing what she does exactly um, and what her role is in that. Um, Do you think the trailer gets across the... uh... You know, a, a must-see factor. Are you intrigued? Would you check this out now that uh, I've exposed you to this this obnoxious American in Paris? Yeah, well, I've been getting more into uh, foreign films as of late and watching like films that are not in the English language. And so I, I would I would definitely be down to see this. You know, if I had a night off or was you know just uh, just not doing anything, I would see it. I wouldn't like actively go search it in theaters or anything, but uh, I, I definitely do have a thirst. For Third Street, <laughs> that's that goes on the poster right there. If we had that type of power, like Peter Travers from Rolling Stone, that sounds like something he would put in his review. Just that is something on the poster. Peter Travers would put. <laughs> true, true, my friend. Um, but yeah, no, I, considering I've never heard about this film, I am I'm definitely intrigued after seeing that trailer. I, I I'd like to see maybe kind of a little less of what's happening because I think it showed a little too much for me. Like, I feel like I've already seen a lot of the film, but maybe, maybe I'm completely wrong. And like the film is a whole different thing. My thinking would be, is this something that I would rather people stumble across just accidentally on a streaming service? Because I think it's sort of twisty. And so if they just click on something called thirst street and it's like, Oh, about a sexy flight attendant in Paris, I think they're going to be in for some surprise there. Well, uh, hopefully you will download this very episode that you're on uh, after you've seen it because we go into it. We talk about it. So uh, thank you for coming on and uh, being our uh, – we, we like to have ignorant guests on. That's I'm trying to make myself feel smarter. So I'm, I'm purposely exposing other film podcasters to things that they are not aware of and then making them feel bad about it. Did I do my job? You you did your job, especially now that you've made me feel bad about it. I'm going to have to bring you on for a movie that you have no idea about once we restart our podcast, too. Sure. You, you've, done, you've done it before. You brought me on for the, the finest and in independent Canadian cinema, so I've been there. The shoe's been on the other foot, but I had a good time on your show. So on that note, tell people where they can find you. Tell them a little bit about your podcast, and uh, I'll let you go. You've had enough obnoxious Americans for one night. Oh, God, yes, man. I, indeed, I have. Uh <laughs> I'm sorry. That's so mean. I'm sorry. I'm being Canadian. I'm saying sorry. Okay. Well, you guys can find um, my podcast and blog as it is um, at Get Real Movies, G-E-T-R-E-E-L-M-O-V-I-E-S. You can find us on uh, our website, GetRealMovies.com, on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, all that good stuff. And then on iTunes as well. But we haven't done an episode in a while, but we know. But we're doing different things with the podcast. We're going in a different direction. And it's going to be really great. So keep an eye out. And we will start having content for you probably October time. So Hopefully a seven-part series on Thirst Street. That's what I'm requesting. Nope. Seven straight 100%. episodes on Thirst Street. <laughs> 100%. All right, Dan. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank you. What happened? Third Street. It's got a poster now. So that's good. It's a good poster, too.
Yeah, I was a bit concerned initially because they, they did not have a poster on IMDb. But now they do, and I, I have to feel it's because they knew that uh, this podcast would be covering it. So it's, it's official We pushed now. them over the edge. Yeah, we, you know, we sent in our, our concerned letter, why they had a still image here. But this is one that you, you watched before, really even we, we started discussing doing this this podcast. And you know, we were going over some, some independent films that were coming out uh, this month. And uh, it got thrown out, and then you watched it, and I think you were a bit hesitant to, to have bit. me <laughs> see it through. So, so just briefly, uh, here here's what I was looking at that that sold me on the, the property, which is Gina, an American flight attendant, falls in love with a Parisian bartender on a layover, only to find herself tangled in a web of deception, delusion. And unrequited, what is that French word? I think they've changed that. <laughs> I was wondering if you looked ahead. I had not. They've changed that because I thought there was sex mentioned in there. So now it just ruined my whole gag because I, I, I thought it was mentioned as a sexy thriller. And I don't see any mention now. Now it's tagged as well, comedy, drama, romance. It, I don't. I, amour is love. And then foie, F O U, don't know that one. I don't like the unrequited love. I would not have been down for this. So they changed the poster to, to suit our needs, but they, they removed the sex because. Uh, my initial thought as I read that is like, oh, this is gonna, this is like gonna be some like throwback to like a De Palma movie or something. It's gonna be something that's a little, you know, a, a little kinky, a little seedy. Um, and then the way you were talking about it, you know, there's a lot of toss up with his films as far as uh, how far they push that element uh, for artistic merit or just <laughs> to be titillating. And uh, I was definitely hoping for the, the latter. That's not what I got though, so much so. Yeah, let's 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 just get into it as far as the, your initial concerns. Then, after you watched it, why why you thought maybe it wouldn't be uh, up my alley? Well, it you're you're a hard one to nail down sometimes, and there's certain things that uh, just really resonate with me, and I never know if it's going to work for you or not. Um, so this is something that actually I really loved this movie, and so but I could see how people would be put off by it. Um, there's it's very stylized in its execution. Um, you're not somebody that necessarily needs likable characters, but the, none of the characters here are really likable. Um, so it, it was something that I didn't want to go down the path of talking about this movie for 30 minutes and possibly be shitting on a movie that I really enjoyed. I would just rather kind of, you know, let it go cover it in a different way. Um, because it's something that I think the right people that find this movie are going to love it. And I think it's a very well-made film and i just didn't i don't know i, I didn't want to i i wasn't sure how you'd react to it i thought there was a potential and even i said at the time you're either gonna really love this movie or you're probably gonna hate it um which means but considering my track record record with you you probably fell right in the middle and you're like it was okay i i think i'm i'm coming out a little bit more positive than okay i will say initially um i i did see red flags um because it's it's going for I don't know what you what would you call it like it's like neon demon or drive uh, no a bit on the cheap oh. well, okay well hear me out the the, the coloring scheme is well is, see I, I think of Argento when I saw this I didn't think of you know just with the the washed out colors on it um, maybe that's a little bit of the neon demon thing where you have the sort of overfiltration on it sure. but I, I was really thinking of really early 70s films that those other movies are calling back to. It's certainly a little more loose, uh, more controlled than the, the Nicholas winning Refn films, which are, are very, <laughs> you know, very still. They're very, they're, they're kind of, kind of cold, uh, very calculated in their, their imagery. And it's, so you, you pair this with this, this strange narration, uh, from Angelica Houston, uh, which sets up our characters and sets up this initial romance with this, this flight attendant, 
And uh, this, this is like the very brief opening of the film. It, it discusses uh, basically this this lover that she has gets in his head that uh, she doesn't love him because she flies all over country and he takes that as a sign that she's trying to stay away from him that she's out experiencing the world even though that's that is how they met that's her profession and she comes home and he's killed himself and uh the film is then turns into her co-workers some other uh, fly attendants uh attempt to basically it's like a uh and this is not what i'm picking although this this just came to mind so it would have been a great pick it is not a uh, how stella got her groove back scenario but they <laughs> they they take her around paris and uh they're they're basically like uh hooting and hollering in the background when they see a uh a gentleman caller leaving her hotel room but then the, the film it takes a strange turn in that she gets uh stuck uh purposely stuck uh, in Paris, which is not a bad place to be, but I mean stuck as in she totally plants both feet into this dude's world, into his his very small <laughs> world in Paris, and uh, some of that is probably the, the you know the 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 economy uh, of the film, but I, I think in this instance, this is where a smaller budget uh, actually helps the storyline here because it, it does feel you know for this to be like you know the city of love and to have this interesting look. Uh, you're very much limited to the this guy's like apartment, <laughs> crossing the street to his apartment, and this bar he works at, a uh, strip club he hangs out at, uh, and that's it. And it it starts to feel very cabin fever ish. And I mean, it, you know, it doesn't help. Although I guess it, you know, I shouldn't say that. It definitely helps uh, the tension in the film, but it doesn't help our characters that you know our main character, the driving force of the plot, is someone that uh, is just a bit. Uh, obsessive, a bit of a, a clingy yeah. type. So <laughs> an uh, understatement. So yeah, you don't you don't have too many uh, different uh, locales that this this film the story takes place in, and you have a character that wants to be right in the thick of it, uh, mm-hmm. especially with this guy's world. And so um, I I did I you know I can't remember I feel like the the narration from Houston does drop off at a certain point. Uh, it's it's really prevalent early on, uh, but then that. That is lost, and it's one thing where I would have liked to have, you know, heard. Uh, and I'm going to have to look into this. You know, clearly after recording a podcast, that's when you do the research. But if that was something that was done in editing, or if that was the plan all along, I, I will say that it feels very. It does feel seamless. It feels planned. Yeah. But it's just, it's just a question that I did have after the fact because when I was thinking about it, I'm like, oh wow, that's it does feel at that point like we don't need someone commenting from the outside. We are kind of totally in our headspace and it's, it's a very scary place to be. So no, no, I enjoyed this. I enjoyed this a lot more than I did uh, initially. Uh, and it's not just to spite you. I promise. No, well, it, it takes a little bit to ramp up. It's um, this is something that you have to give it a little bit of time to kind of define what it is to you. And then to kind of, as you said, get into this woman's head. And I think that's why the narration does drop off because once we're inside her head, you don't need a guiding voice at that point because you can kind of see what she's doing and why she's doing it. And well, maybe not necessarily the why, but you can definitely see what she's doing. Um, and while we're going along that path in the beginning of it, I feel like Angelica Houston's voice is the one that's kind of guiding us along. That's just welcoming us and keeping us in our seats for a little bit, you know, keeping us planted. And I think that's why her casting is so brilliant for this because you know, you, as you said that it, you know, you're kind of pushing against it a little bit, but I think that voice helps to guide you into it. And then once you're fully committed into the, you know, probably somewhere in the second act of the movie, you don't need that help anymore. And it knows that. And I think it pulls off, um, whether or not that was by design initially, I I don't know. Um, 
but you mentioned something interesting that was one of my favorite things about this film that I'm not sure if it's budget or not. Um, but the small scale of it, because a lot of films that take place in places like San Francisco, New York, Paris, these, you know, the filmmakers tend to fetishize the cities. And I feel like there's none of that here. It's not making Paris look gross. It's not making it look overly beautiful. It just kind of is what it is. Um, shooting there gives it more production value than the budget probably actually was um, just because of how small this film is. But I actually like that it just focuses on all the character work and puts that very much forward. That's kind of what the focus is more than anything else. Well, it, it certainly feels more lived in that way, doesn't it? Yeah. It doesn't yeah. feel like um... – and obviously, like the before trilogy, I think it's you know that's some of our our favorite films, yeah. uh, but not often in romance films. And this is one; it's a bit deranged. Uh, <laughs> do those do those strolls through a city feel like you were watching a genuine couple? That it feels like the movie moment of that. And some films comment on that. Um, this one, I I really liked because you don't know too much about as I said our gentleman caller here who, you know, I think we're introduced to him thinking maybe he's possibly taking advantage of a woman who's uh, getting over a tragedy in her life. Yeah. Uh, she's being pushed into a world that she doesn't really seem to have the, the personality for or someone like I, she has, she makes mention at some point in the film when she's talking to uh, another character that she's from New York, but not from New York city. Like she makes that distinction. <laughs> Yeah, and so I, I, I felt like it was that was only really in there to say that you know she she probably has not had a lot of life experience, which is an interesting character trait for someone whose job is to travel all over the world and to not really have a home base. That she's still sort of maintaining this wherever she's from in upstate New York, this sort of smaller town, smaller city personality, even though she is a globetrotter. You know, this is not. Uh, and I'll just shout out what I'm discovering recording. Uh, this is a, just our second recording uh, is that I'm going to name drop a ton of films because I can't ke- help myself. The, the premise is we're, <laughs> we're going to bring one, um, but the, you know, this is not up in the air. This is not. So that's also not my selection. This is not someone that uh, uses their travel to get further distance from who they were previously. I, I think you, you're meant to suspect that she is just bringing sort of the full force of who she is to these people. Mm -hmm. There's definitely points in the film where I feel like, okay, maybe she's being changed by them. But by the end of it, I did not feel that way at all. I feel like her, her will had been enforced on everyone else. And that was (laughs) not, it was, you know, I'm not absolving them of what they do or say to this woman, but I, unlike some other, you know, the other film that we've talked about tonight and from our previous episode on nobody's watching, I think at a certain point you you definitely are rooting against uh, Gina here, even if she is expressing the utmost devotion when it comes to you know romance and physical pleasure. She's she's willing to do whatever. I I think that the social faux pas that she makes are not accidental. I think they're 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 her weapon of choice. What, what I, did you make of that? I agree with you completely on that and. Um, the fact that they're able to take this Jerome character that gives her pink eye and possibly <laughs> VD, um, and this is a woman that we just saw go through her boyfriend committing suicide, as you mentioned in the opening sequence of the film. So there's a little bit of sympathy there right away that you have for her. And then you see the scene where she's what appears to be taken advantage of, but then 
in seeing the entire film and going back and thinking of it, I think it kind of flips on it a little bit. I don't want to get into, I guess, too many spoilers here because not many people will have seen this. But I think that it's kind of changes the way that you view Jerome's character, that you do end up feeling more sympathy than would be. He's not a good guy, but I don't think he's deserving of necessarily what's going on. And I wanted to ask you, at what point would you have been okay with her attention? Um, would it have been when she moved into the neighborhood that that was a, you know, that she moved to Paris and was staying that she moved in the neighborhood or would it be, she got a job working with you, you know, no, no. and he seems he, he rolls with it for a lot longer than I would have. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's meant to, to speak to, it fills in the, the gaps on some of the, the characterization. I, I don't think that they're, you know, it's, it's any sort of fault, uh, of the film. I, I think it's, it's, clever that you you begin to think like okay what was his lifestyle like because as you said he rolls with it much longer than i would for me yeah she says i moved to paris uh <laughs> i'd i would be i'd be trying to do the calculation or pulling up any sort of documents i had as far as what my lease when that runs up <laughs> uh changing the, the cell phone plan and you know anything i i'm i'm ghosting as much you know any podcasts that i have i'm ending those <laughs> social media accounts gone uh yeah i i'm not i'm i'm not jerome here who and like i was saying you know maybe it is some of the setup that he he knows in his head that there was some advantage that he took of a woman that was a bit yep. unstable uh you know their first sexual encounter uh she's the one that points out he's not wearing a condom and <laughs> i mean i don't remember what his you know, French line is, uh, I'm sure it was, you know, better than my paraphrase, which is like, you know, baby, that's not how I roll. That's, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> basically what Jerome says. And then she's like, oh, okay, I guess. Um, as you said, the, the very loving, uh, pink eye that they, they share together. They're, their first, that's their meat cute, I guess. There's, there's some definite, um, ways that this film teases going that more De Palma route. Uh, as you said, with some of the characters, uh, feeling like they are are being too cool with Gina. That at times I felt like there's some sort of trap being set up in the film for her. That there's going to be some further bit of uh, violence or manipulation or something. And the the film handles those quite gracefully. I I thought. I don't yeah. think it ever devolves into too much trash. I, I still think the film is a little bit trashy, but in a very fun way like and especially now that I'm, you know i comment on the poster i think they very much know what they have on their hands and uh I, I yeah i did have a lot of fun with this one this is one that you know unfortunately it's probably not going to be seen on a on a big screen but i actually think this is like this is probably like the perfect streaming movie that if you see a cool poster and you don't actually read too much and you've not listened to this stupid podcast about it <laughs> I think, you know, I think people would, would sit for the full, you know, 83 minutes and just, just go with it. They're just going to go with every sort of turn this film has. And that also speaks to the, the performance here. Lindsay Bird, she's one of my favorite actors these Excellent. days. She's so yeah. uh, Midnight Swim, I, one of my favorite movies from a couple of years ago. She's uh, XX from last year. She's just doing so much good work. Uh, yeah, I, I it's one of those things where I'm pretty much – she does a lot of stuff, and I think she's going to be one of those people that could easily cross over. She does a lot of genre films but and a lot of small indie stuff, but I could see her becoming something much bigger because she clearly has the talent. Yeah, it's it's a difficult part because it it could very easily go into very sort of stock femme fatale type role mm -hmm. where, where 
you know, I, I could see a very bad version of this, just casting, uh, you know, a tall, beautiful woman and just sort of leaving it at that <laughs> and just letting her play very robotic. You know, honestly, as much as I like uh, Nicholas Winning Reffin's work, you know, that that's sort of what he's actually sort of asking of his actors. You know, El, El Fanning and Neon Demon is about as robotic as it gets. And I mean, yeah. I think that's purposeful, too, but I don't think it would work for Thirst Street at all because they, they are attempting for this to eventually operate in some real world. And like I said, when I think when Angelica Houston's voice leaves, I really like that it, it dares to somewhat switch the perspective a little bit. So mm -hmm. when you start seeing Jerome's side of it and you know, his people, <laughs> I'm chuckling because it is, it's really fun. I mean, it's, it's terrifying if you're Jerome, but me watching it, I, I, I no, you know, it, film, it's, it's really it, exciting. And, and if you switch the sexes of these characters, it's a totally different movie. Um, if you change genders and Jerome is doing this to Gina, then it's a that's you know sleeping with the enemy or something, and it's and then it's one of those types of movies. But something here and the way that they play that out, it just I think is really interesting, and they allow Gina to be just the one that's completely in control here, much more than it would seem, and it's. Great. I, I I can't recommend this movie highly enough to people. I, I'm going to echo that sentiment, but I'm probably not going to echo your pick. And I don't even really need to be concerned about this one. I don't think, uh, unless you know. Oh, if, oh no, no. Oh, I I nailed this one. You're done. I don't think I did. I, I think this is me. Uh, this is me uh, attempting to uh, be a bit trollish. I think I know what you picked. Okay, give, give me a shot. Give me your guess. Vanilla Sky. Nope. Although that is uh, that is one of my favorites, and I I would have had to had no sympathy whatsoever for Jerome to pick <laughs> Vanilla Sky because uh, Cameron Diaz was lovely uh, as uh, Julie in that. Um, That's <laughs> my pick. Uh, it's something you just said about switching the genders, and yeah. I I went back and forth, and this was a very late pick for me in the film when I started thinking about why I really liked it. And it did come back to the, the smallness of the place and basically the smallness of Jerome's world and having some new exotic character come in, someone who sure. everyone knows should not be there. So my pick is the 1999 classic from uh, Richard Curtis and Roger Mitchell, Notting Hill, starring Hugh Grant and Julia Roberts. Can I just say no to you? Kind request. Leave it at that. Yes. Fine. Of course, I... Of course. Well, I'll just be going. Um, then it was nice to see you. The thing is... With you, I'm in real... danger. It seems like a perfect situation apart from that foul temper of yours but my relatively inexperienced heart would i fear not recover uh, if i was once again cast aside as i would absolutely expect to be uh, there are just too many pictures of you too many films you know you'd go and i'd be uh, well buggered That really is real now, is it? I live in Notting Hill. You live in Beverly Hills. Everyone in the world knows who you are. My mother has trouble remembering my name. Fine. Fine. Good decision. 
fame thing isn't really real, you know. And don't forget, I'm also just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love her. <laughs> Which is the perfect representation of her. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit trolly. Okay, hear me out. Okay, so there's uh, you know, it is flipped a little bit. Like the the one who's being yeah. obsessed over would be Julie Roberts' movie star, uh, Anna. And so the guy whose space is invaded, whose small, like perfectly fine world, he's he's got everything kind of. He's got good friends. I mean, he's got the the kooky roommate, but he's he's got a, a business. And he seems to enjoy his life, and it's his obsession with something that he never aspired to previously that just throws that all of that for. You know, the uh, many kinks there, not as kinky as uh, Thirst Street. But <laughs> I thought that's a film that, like you said, doesn't really work at all if those genders are flipped. Because I, I yeah. think if you if you put, you know, Julia Roberts as the, 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 the bookish uh, person who's just sort of a klutz and then becomes obsessed with the, the movie star, um, turns into some sort of like gold digger rom-com thing or something of the past where it's like, you know, a woman who couldn't do anything right, but now she's got a, a rich, handsome person, uh, on her arm. I, I felt like that movie only really works. That very particular scenario only works, uh, when it's, it's the man who is obsessed and the man who is, you know, in some regards, the not as powerful as, as her. And I, I felt like Thirst Street, you know, I mean, this would be, <laughs> there are going to be people that have issues with it as far as this, this woman, you know, the, that sort of unhinged woman part that is, is fairly common in a horror setting. But they but play it different here though. They do. But I don't know if that, I think if it, it's played with a man, I think it just becomes really mean spirited and it's probably becomes yeah. a more violent film. Uh, you know, they, they have to amp up the danger to where you, it's not going to be as ambiguous. So, but that's what I found. You found one that's just as ambiguous. Uh, maybe not as ambiguous, but I found one that uh, has a man in that role that's not – you don't have that sense of threat. Okay. That it's creepy in the same way that I think that uh, Thirst Street is creepy, but it's not something that has that same menace that you would have in the sexual switch there by changing genders. I'm just going to put out there that your choice cannot be as creepy as Notting Hill. Just throwing it out there. Well, Very creepy film. Chuck and Buck? I think we should play a game. You mean like Trivial Pursuit or something? Yeah. Or like, you know. What? Like some other kind of game. Like what? Carlin? What are you talking about? Like one of those games where you stick your dick in my mouth and I stick mine in yours. Chuck and Buck, suck and fuck. God, that, that, that did cross my mind. And you know what? I know you too well where I'm like, son of a bitch, I know what he's going to say tonight. And it's probably going to be Chuck and Buck. And it's because I would never cover it on War Machine vs. War. So yeah, let's let's go ahead. Let's get into it. Yes.
Well, I mean, it's it's with so far two episodes in, you've gone a little bit more the you wouldn't expect that route, and I've gone a little bit more on the nose. And I think Chuck and Buck is a really good pairing with this because it does um, flip the roles here, and but it does have the same sort of sensibility where there's it's a dark, dark comedy that I don't think will necessarily appeal to everybody. Um, but it's there and it's sometimes like, there might be people that watch it. They don't even realize it would be a comedy, something like Chuck and Buck or Thirst street. And so that, that was one of the things that was always appealing to me about, um, Chuck and Buck was Mike White's writing. And it is so, I think it's your man crush. Of, you're really a weird man crush. You have on Mike. White. I, it, you know, it, I, I respect the man's art. I want to fuck his art. <laughs> you know what? I think I'd rather fuck him than his art. What about that? <laughs> Wasn't he a writer on Dawson's Creek? Have we gone down this path? At some we've point always threatened this? to uh, to do a Dawson's Creek uh, recap show, but uh, no, we've not gone down that path. But uh, give us ten years, and that's what we'll be doing. We'll be wrapping that one up. <laughs> well, it's just it's what the internet's begging for. So <laughs> sadly, they're asking for more of that than whatever this is. Notting Hill and Chuck and Buck—that's our mashup. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there's the threat of this show is that somehow at some point we might come up with the same movie and that's why we give each other the year so that we won't cross paths that way. Yeah. I don't even know that we need to give each other the year because I really don't see it happening in three years, I guess, roughly that we've been trying to pair movies together. I, we rarely would see eye to eye on choosing something, let alone coming up with the same idea. Yeah, I felt pretty comfortable with Notting Hill. Um, and you apparently have, <laughs> you felt very comfortable with Chuck and Buck as usual. You know, if, that's my old. If there's an old comfortable slipper that I can try on Jesus. and just know that it's going to satisfy and feel warm, Chuck and Buck is that to is me. Is that a direct uh, quote from the script from Mike White? My God. <laughs> um, yo, okay. Here, here's a common thread between those those two. I, I mentioned the the power struggle there. Um, it's different, uh, but in both films we are going to see a sexual relationship. Uh, where I, I think there's going to be some judgment thrown as far as someone taking advantage of the other. Um, yeah. the, the difference is, I guess, with, with you know Chuck and Buck is that based on how Mike White has written and plays the character is that there's something uh, possibly criminal about that sexual relationship. Uh, whereas in, in Notting Hill, I, I do... <laughs> I think some of the, the, the creep factor is, and I don't know. I think the film is, is effective. It's effective romantic comedy, but it, you know, it's, it's an, it's a dynamic that I is only barely touched upon with the, the Alec Baldwin character who's just introduced sure. as a jackass as another, you know, another celebrity or actor that Julia Roberts character is dating. Uh, but you know, I wanted to toss it to you. You know, do you, what do you feel about the, the sexual dynamics of, you know, the, this everyday average citizen getting to have his you know time in the sack with a movie star or the movie star knowing when she's like having this relationship with him that he's clearly going to be treating or thinking of this, this encounter much differently than he would with a woman he just you know meets at a coffee shop. Well, I think that there's uh that's something that can't be escaped in it, that it's, there's going to be that elevation to that sexual encounter. So the playing field isn't even in that sense. And as much as the movie tries to level that up in some ways um, and the way they change the power dynamic, I don't think that it, I, I mean, it tries to address it there, but I don't feel like it's as manipulative as Thirst Street or Chuck and Buck is where it doesn't feel like it's being forced in the same way. What do you, what do you mean by the manipulations on, uh, on those two films? 
on uh okay so the manipulation in chuck and buck is he's uh, i don't know how well you remember the movie but it's they had this there's certain of, scenes that are <laughs> burned into my brain <laughs> <laughs> insert clip <laughs> <laughs> that we've used, I don't know, five times in our previous podcast. Probably when we were doing a Transformers review, <laughs> rolled that one out. It's the best place for it. And um, but it's the it's when they have the sexual encounter. There's the Mike White's actually the one that has the power in that, but he's holding something over his head to have this one last fling. Um, and so I felt a similar feeling from Jerome's character when he goes to her and he's giving her the eye drops for the, the pink eye that he gave her and <laughs> he still gets a blow job in the middle of that. And it was just that same like gross creepiness that I had in both those films that I felt a kinship there between those two. And I never felt like, they don't need to because it's not the movie they're trying to make with Julia Roberts, but I don't feel like nodding really gets in the mucky muck like that. <laughs> no, um, probably the only opportunity there is with uh, Spike, the roommate, because he's the one that verbalizes uh, some of that, like the, the sort of locker room, like how mm-hmm. awesome would it be to fuck a movie star? Uh, but he is a very, you know, he's a, PG 13, maybe even PG version of the locker room guy. Like he's, he's, he's such the, the Kramer character, like sitcom level that, uh, that's about as far as they're, they're willing to go in that. Now I will give credit to the film that I did like that, uh, Julia Roberts plays mean. And I guess yeah. one of the many breakup scenes that she has with the, the Hugh Grant character. And I always, I always really, it made me despise the Hugh Grant character of William Thacker more when like he responds to her meanness with like, well, this will, you know, you'll remember me that way, but I'll always remember you as like one of the greatest moments of my life. And I was like, Oh, you God damn it. Well, that's the only reason the movie works though, is because if it's not somebody that has, <laughs> Like if it's a, if it's a roll guy over that, completely. Yeah. If you have any threat or any sexuality or any like manhood, that's why it was the perfect casting for you, Grant. If you, you know, if you put, I don't God, Ryan Reynolds in that role, it's not going to work for so many reasons, but well, if you put the guy who plays Jerome in there, it's not going to work. He's going he's to go oh, you fucking snort a line no, off a stripper's ass and be done with his day. Get some more pink eye. I'm not talking about the actor. I want the character of Jerome in that movie. <laughs> of course I would want the character of Jerome because he, I, I would believe that he would look at that as maybe not even his best lay of the day. He might, <laughs> He's not going to give that Hugh Grant speech there. Um yeah, you clearly went more sexual than me because I think you know I think Notting Hill's a damn punching bag in this contest to the to the the fucking and Chuck and Buck and <laughs> Thirst Street. Um, but yeah, I, I was going with that that invasion of space. So I've I've always thought that Notting Hill is like a really kind of weird like home invasion movie in that way, where it's like <laughs> thanks I was totally happy with my life and now it's all shit because you showed up one day. Um, I think yeah, it's a perfect romance in that way. <laughs> coming up on his one year wedding anniversary <laughs> literally two weeks away <laughs> I don't know if we can end that one any better than that <laughs> I think that's our out <laughs>
so that was this episode of Projecting Film. I want to thank Dan from Get Real Movies for coming on for our trailer reaction. You can follow him at Get Real Movies. You can follow us at Projecting Film. I'm Michael Denniston at War Machine Horse on social media. My co-host Chris Maynard at Following Underscore Films. This podcast can also be found on followingfilms.com alongside some other great shows, some of which I co-host, like Original Remake or The Grand Gesture. But if you just want to stick with this show, I understand. Actually, I don't really understand. But we appreciate it. You can uh, come back next time, hopefully, and uh, listen to us talk about the Tiger Hunter. We have known from Julie Sandwich coming on for the trailer reaction. And uh, if you're a Danny Pudi fan, you, uh, you may like what you hear. And if you like what you're hearing right now, I want to thank the band Good Talk Russ for contributing our theme music. The song is called Build It Up off their album Panglosian Travels of the White Elephant. Hope I got that right. I like their song, though. I think these have gone really well so far. I like, yeah. I like distilling this down to this, this, this smaller version. Because uh, what we've done is we've... We're applying some degree of structure, but it's still very much just like that structure is just meant to house the, the, the two tangents we want to go on. Like we're very and it's like because we know we're going to have that room to play with the two older ones. Uh, it seems like we're much more um, well behaved on the first. The first review. one, yeah, we give the attention we deserve to the title of the damn episode, which is the featured film. <laughs> and then the, the, the cue, the nonsense and the clowns come in. Like so, we just need a circus team to play when we start talking about our pair. <laughs> <laughs>